Hi, Fashion Hotline. Hi, this Easter, I'm on the hunt. For eggs? For new styles my family can wear to brunch. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now, get a huge 50% off your entire purchase in store. Everything you need, like dresses, polos, and shorts, is 50% off. 50% off? You must be hiding something. Dresses start at just $12 for women, $10 for girls. But Easter's just three days away. Then hop to it. It's in stores only. Don't tell the Easter Bunny. Hurry in for 50% off your entire purchase in stores only. Now at Old Navy. Valid 14 to 420 in stores only. Excludes in-store clearance. Gift cards. Register lane items. Jewelry today only and two-day only deals. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It got on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the castle. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the May edition of your favorite one-stop shop for horror news, spooky content, real-life tales of the unexplained, Monsters at Midnight, brought to you courtesy of the lovely Zima Podcasting Network. I'm your host, your favorite escaped madman loose on the airwaves, terrorizing your eardrums, Matt Schaefer. Joined with me, as always, is the mad scientist, courtesy of Zima Laboratories, sending electricity through this podcast and reanimating it. Graham Zima, how are you today, sir? Ooh, it's Graham Zima. Okay, that was a completely better in theory introduction. I um, it. I it, was, it. it was pretty great. I am doing fantastic. It's Monsters at Midnight, May 2018, the greatest horror show on the internet. The only horror show on the internet. I mean, that's Maybe not that's true. not true, but I'll give you that. And what is that lovely disembodied female voice? Could it be a call from beyond? Or perhaps it is Joel and Dormady. How are you today? <laughs> I, I'm so much better with that intro. That's why I'm here. I am the hype man. Hooray. <laughs> We've got a pretty good show lined up for you. It's going to be news, 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 um, because we have something else planned for uh, the future. Um, given time constraints and whatever else we've actually, this is going to be, spoiler alert, and uh, sorry to break the illusion to the audience, for this is the first of three episodes we are going to be recording today. Uh, All episodes will be released in their uh, appropriate month, however. Uh, So yeah, welcome back. Always be sure to check us out on iTunes, Spreaker.com, coming soon as well, the ZimaPodcastingNetwork.com. Oh yes, I should probably clarify this for people that are listening right now. I know I've been talking about this for so long, but I'm not even kidding like this time. This is for real. All the the layouts are completely finalized. Now it's just uh, the only thing holding it back is the uploading speed. So right now we're just loading up the website and that just takes a lot of time. Uh, So the website is going to be out. Like it, it's pretty much done now. I'm just syncing up uh, data. So that is the new home for content. I mean, obviously, we're always going to be on iTunes. We're always going to be on YouTube and all that good stuff. But like ZimaPodcasting.com is going to be. Now, we haven't finalized the domain. So I should say it could be Zima Podcasting Network. It could be ZimaPodcasting.com. We'll clarify that um, in the description. But that is like your one-stop shop for all the good content and there is a plethora of great content on the zima podcasting network and every time i try to shout out shows something goes horribly wrong so use your eyeballs use your (laughs) mouse use your fingers find the content for yourself uh that hot creamy content find it with your fingers oh no so bolt your windows lock your doors don't look at me like that (laughs) bolt your doors Bolt your windows, lock your doors, turn out the lights. 
Monsters at Motherfucking Midnight Rides again for May of 2018. And we're going to start it off with the hot new rape and revenge thriller that has been hitting the festival circuit, simply titled Revenge. It is, if I am not mistaken, mistaken. So we're off to a great start, as per usual. If I'm not mistaken, it is a French film that was actually first released at a festival last year. It is a French film. Uh, uh, Directed by Coralie Ferge. My French is incredibly rusty, so I apologize to all the eardrums I have slain. (laughs) Um, Written and directed by this person. It was first released at what is the Toronto Toronto International Film Festival in September of last year. It got its Fran- France Christ on a bike. It got its <laughs> French release in February and it's going to be uh out on demand and in select theaters when we're recording this tomorrow. So which has no correlation on of which would be May eighteenth, essentially. Um, The plot is pretty simple. Uh, An American woman is, uh, she meets some men who are uh, looking for a place. I think they're like looking for a place. How about you actually read the synopsis, Matt? It follows a young woman who is assaulted by three married men and left for dead, but she returns with revenge on her mind. So it doesn't get any more simple than that. That is very true to form, 1970s rape and revenge cinema. True Grindhouse is getting great reviews from uh, horror publications such as Bloody Disgusting. If you're still listening, please please sponsor us, Bloody Disgusting. Bloody, Bloody Disgusting. Uh, it's been gr- getting great reviews from... Uh, all over the place. It's got. I think. I think it's sitting in the eighties on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so what do we think about this? Uh, also, given the turmoil of today's culture, what do we think? Are rape and revenge movies still relevant? Apart, given the if we cast aside the critical acclaim that it is receiving, what do we think about this genre as a whole? What do we think about this movie? I'll start with you, Jolyn. Okay. Um. I mean, it, to me, I mean, it's written and directed by a woman, which seems, like, appropriate. Um, and given, you know, the whole Me Too movement and all of that, I think maybe it's either going to be perfectly timed or really distasteful, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's not going to be anywhere in the middle. But I have a feeling it's it's really well-timed. And, um, and from what I was reading, it sounds like the lead, you're supposed to kind of almost dislike her from the beginning because she's, like knowingly going somewhere with a married man like as right. his mistress and she's supposed to be like um kind of like scantily clad the whole time and everything um but in a sense i think maybe that might be sort of commentary in itself is like the fact that we kind of or that you know society tends to ask like oh well what was she wearing and stuff mm-hmm. like that how did yeah. she act um and so i if it's done right then it's probably going to be incredible and if it's had such good reviews given today's culture then i have a feeling that's kind of that might be the direction they're taking it is is a a really solid commentary on the times gotcha well what are your personal opinions are you excited for revenge are you you looking forward to it or i like i love rape revenge films um which probably is weird but uh uh i mean and oddly 
I, I don't remember what podcast this was on. Um, it might have been the one through Bloomhouse. I don't know. But um, they were talking about rape revenge films, and one of the women talking about it was an assault survivor. And she was saying how, like, seeing it sort of up close and personal, the way that she sort of experienced it, made rape revenge films for her kind of fun and like i mean maybe not fun but just like therapeutic yeah cathartic yeah and i i can see where you know i mean i'm sure other people have other experiences but i think that's that's pretty interesting and i don't know i think it'll be a good time for this i think you know i have heard uh numerous it's interesting you bring that up but i've heard numerous female critics comment on the genre as a whole as sort of the ultimate chick flicks Mm-hmm. which makes, in a twisted sort of way, makes sense to me. But I turn it over to you, Graham. What do you think about uh, revenge? Every single time we talk about one of these potentially divisive movies, I think the exact same thing. I don't care what the topic is. It's how do you approach making it? Mm-hmm. And I, I try to... I mean, it's obviously important to consider what the film's about in general there's no question about that but it's to me it's more about what is the intent of the film you know who like we were talking about a woman director so that i think already works out in its advantage um i think you get that type of perspective involved with the film i think it's going to add it and it's going to it's going to only enhance the film um but yeah i i really just try to look at at, at how the creative forces behind this film what their intent is and what they're trying to get from it and obviously as we've seen in history that kind of varies from film to film and I think my problem is when these movies are just making it for the exploitive factor there's no real purpose behind it other than just showing I I, I want there to be that commentary. And maybe that's just a personal preference for me, mm-hmm. but I think you need to have some type of commentary. You need to offer some perspective on the situation. I think, Jalen, you're exactly right. This is going to be one of those movies where it's either going to be perfectly timed or not well-timed at all. It is. And I don't believe that there is a middle ground. And so I'm just kind of curious to see as it becomes more widely released what the reception is to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just considering who's behind this and what the intent is, and obviously once we see the movie, we'll have a more, you know, we'll have more of a perspective on that. Um, I, I am, I'm curious, if anything. And I, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the film sounds very interesting. Um, I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, I don't have much experience with rape revenge movies, um, but I am interested just by the hype that it's getting and um, getting more of a perspective on its political and social impact. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's uh, you all bring up excellent points, and I think especially now since uh, we have sort of we've transgressed like grindhouse cinema but it's also it's come back in a way that's like kind of cool and kind of hip so if and like obviously tarantino does it all the time but other filmmakers can use what looks like grindhouse cinema as a platform for different storytelling because oops sorry about that folks just slap the microphone um but what's interesting about because just reading the synopsis it sounds like verbatim 
What Happens in I Spit on Your Grave, which is one of the most notorious rape revenge films of the 1970s of all time, probably just because it has like a 45 minute rape scene in it. Um, but it is interesting, especially with a female uh, director and writer behind the project. And we do live in such a politically fueled client uh, client climate. Christ. It's just one of those days. Um it is going to be interesting to see the direction that this uh, is taken in. And it is, it's interesting to see when like this is debuted at the Toronto independent film festival, which is like a prestigious film. It's not like debuting at uh, like, I don't know, Schaefer Shocktober's film festival. Hey, do something. not knock Schaefer Shocktober's <laughs> film festival. It's like, um, I'm excited for it just because I've seen a lot of, a lot of ads for it now on Facebook seen the trailer i think stylistically it looks like it's gonna be fucking cool uh i mean i'm like cool rape isn't cool that's not what i'm talking about stylistically just the cinematography it looks super arresting because a lot of it looks like it takes place in the desert looks like it's gonna be super grimy it looks like it's gonna be very just it looks like it's gonna be a ferocious movie and that's what excites me about it the, right. That's what excites the Grindhouse fan in me is like, yeah, k- kick their fucking asses because obviously, like, who doesn't want to k- kick a rapist's ass? And um, but like also the more film connoisseur side of me is excited to see what kind of commentary or politics. Right. I think I think it's I don't agree with people that will write off the film just based on. I mean, okay, that I shouldn't say that because it is fair. Like, if you're not interested in a movie because of the the plot summary, mm-hmm. and but, obviously, like this deals with like, and I hate to use this word because it's become a joke, but this deals with a lot of trigger points. Well, yeah. Some people are are not going to see this movie because of that, and that's totally valid. Yes, um, but at the same time, I feel like you, going back to my earlier point, you have to consider what is behind the movie and like what is the intent mm-hmm. especially in films like this that are going to be potentially and at this moment uh divisive movies when they deal with political and social topics like this so i i just caution people to to not write this off right off the bat and to give it it's maybe it's fair chance but once again if there is that whole trigger aspect involved with it then obviously then you have a valid excuse i'm just saying for like the general masses right yeah um to give it don't don't write it off right off the bat and i'm not and i'm not an official promoter of this film i'll just say that much. revenge if you want to sponsor us (laughs) i was gonna ask when was the last time they made like a solid rape revenge film because i know i would know i know there was like the last house on the left remake and well, they also was... remade I, I Spit on Your Grave, yeah. and not only that, they made a couple sequels to the remake of I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. But I mean, really? Other than yeah. Those two. Oh, my but God. But the, re- the biggest example of rape and revenge film that we've had is Kill Bill, but there's no rape in it. Wait, no. Did you see American Mary? No, I didn't. Oh. Uh, can I that, go that's really recent, isn't it's it? It's pretty recent, yeah. yeah. I don't. The thing is, I think they might have... Because the sound of that film is like kind of off every time I've watched it, so I'm trying to figure out if they like dubbed it or something. I'm not sure. Interesting. But um, it's. Do you mind if I go into this for a second? Sure, go, go for, for it. it. Okay, so she's like a college student. I think she's trying to become like a surgeon, and she gets invited to this party. Of course, she's like this really pretty girl. She gets invited to this party with a bunch of professional surgeons, mm-hmm. but it turns out they like drug her and you know assault her. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, the way that she ends up, like, bouncing back is she starts uh, doing, like, recreational surgeries. Like, I think she actually starts right beforehand, and it's just to make, like, money. It's, it's like, where uh, where people get, like, amputations mm-hmm. to, like, just for fun. Because right. they just, like, want to look like that. Or people who get, like, implants or, right. you know, that sort of thing. So she, she starts getting money on the side, and then, like... She uses it as sort of a retaliation device, which is no really, kidding. really fun. Wow. It's a really fun movie. That's it. Does sound interesting. Well, there you go. American Mary, the rape and revenge modern classic. But yeah, quite possibly. But the like, yeah. Other than that, I think Kill Bill is like the other mainstream example. But even then, that's not. Ra- just, there's there's no rape. There's yeah, just, it's just kind of a revenge, revenge film. Yeah. But it, it follows the format of well, of and one. I mean, she technically was when she was in her coma. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That yeah, that's true. So. I didn't even think about that. So yeah, uh, if this piques your interest and you are listening to it, this in Europe, chances are you can already see it, or you've already seen it. So why are we even having this conversation? <laughs> but if this piques your interest and you are in the U.S. of A., uh, you can see it as early as tomorrow. Oh, in tomorrow it's on video on demand. Tomorrow, May eighteenth. Uh, oh, yes, okay. May eighteenth. Is it released gonna... any other way? I, I think it's coming to select theaters. I don't know for certain. Okay. I may have misread that. I know it's going to be out on demand for sure. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. Um, let's, uh, I'm going to transition into the next topic with uh, the talk of 1970s horror with I Spit on Your Grave and stuff like that. One uh, uh, Very famous 1977 Italian horror film by the name of Suspiria is being remade. By the director of Call Me By Your Name, mm-hmm. which uh, I cannot for the life of me pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try, because uh, I'm going to spare myself that embarrassment for today. Luca Guadagnino? I don't know. Never Thank mind. you, Jolene, yeah. for sparing me the embarrassment <laughs> of the day. I shouldn't have tried. Um, Luca something. Yeah. They were super American. He just, he just directed Call Me By Your Name, um, which apparently was very good. Did you see it, Graham? I did not see it, no. I didn't no. see it. Uh, Brian liked it. Um, but the they showed a scene of Suspiria at, I believe, CinemaCon. It was one of the cons around that uh, the time, the same time that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis debuted a rough trailer for the new Halloween. Um, they showed a scene that apparently repulsed and simultaneously excited audiences for this reimagining, and I call it reimagining because the more I read it, sounds less... a lot like Rob Zombie when he was talking about the remake of Halloween. Well, the, the... and there's the Rob Zombie plug of the day. Sounds <laughs> you can't even blame me for it. Yeah, this I know time. I took I took that today. But that being said, what I've read of it so far, this is more of the director's interpretation on the atmosphere and the idea of the original versus a one-to-one remake of the original. It's, it's still going to take place in 1977 Germany, but it's not apparently not going to be near... The, the famous thing about Dario Argento's, Dario Argento's films was they were shot in Technicolor. Suspiria was one of the last films to be shot in Technicolor. So it's like a grotesquely beautiful movie with bright, vibrant colors, a lot of pinks, a lot of reds and oranges. It's a very 70s-looking movie. Apparently, this, uh, in the words of the director, they are using a very grim palette 
uh, very wintry and dark atmosphere. That being said, though, going back to this idea of the scene that they showed, which apparently, uh, spoiler alert, if you want to avoid all spoilers for this reimagining, apparently involves a witch uh, contorting and twisting a dancer almost like a marionette to the point where she's splitting in half and spitting and spewing and there's blood everywhere. It repulsed audiences, but also made audiences incredibly excited in just how gruesome and how gory it was. Sort of like when the first trailers for the new Evil, the Evil Dead reboot came out. It's even uh, gotten the praise of the original actress from the original Suspiria, who I cannot remember the name of, and I'm not, I'm not looking it up right now. Totally, (laughs) she is. Uh, she is a firm supporter of this uh, new vision in the film. So, um, just uh, Jessica Harper, who apparently has a small role in the new one. Yeah, that's what I heard. Um, so, what does this uh, little tidbit about the Suspiria reimagining say to you folks? Graham looks like he has something to say. I really don't, so I'm <laughs> curious as to why my face is giving off that impression. Uh, look, I mean, gosh, this this sparks the whole conversation about remakes again, and you know what we think about them in general. For me, I don't write off remakes. I really don't because a lot of horror, especially. But just in general, uh, there are, like, I think remakes get a bad rep. Um, I don't think they're as unimaginative as people like to lead on. I think that in the case of, oh, God, Rob Zombie's Halloween. And, um, I mean, one of my favorite horror films, and I've said this before to Matt, is The Hills of Eyes remake. I actually oh, yeah. think it's a superior film to the original. I'm sorry, Wes Craven. Uh, I I really think that, that film wasn't he also involved in the remake or yeah I think he produced, think he produced it. it yeah oh, yeah. yeah I thought that that was a really like just simple nice remake that kind of was a more updated version of the original like I think it was a a good attempt I think that sure there are moments where you, you look at a property and you're and you're like why are they attempting to do this that makes no sense and I in those cases are there for sure like I, I don't agree with the idea of remaking something like back to the future and all that mm-hmm. stuff but there are certain properties I think that lend themselves to getting an update and then and, and getting a remake and I know that's kind of an unpopular opinion in today's climate especially in the uh the horror scene but um I don't know I'm always willing to give something a chance when someone says they want to reimagine if if they can provide a unique vision to that property if they can give me something i haven't seen before then i'm on board and obviously until i see the movie and then i make my final decision clearly but um in terms of just in theory like if if you believe that you can tell this story differently that's great and even if and i've heard this point made before even if the remake is garbage and you hate it all across the board you still got the original original. you don't have to ever interact with that remake ever again yeah and it's you don't even have to go in people that bitch and like, why are they remaking this? this? is such bullshit. Look, you don't have to go see it. Nobody's forcing you as a fan of the original property to go see it. You can just simply, while everybody's watching the remake, you can watch the original. 
it's just that simple. I think people get really hung up on it. And um, yeah, so long story short, I'm open to it. Let's see what they can give us. If it's, you know, if it's not good, well then, so be it. But um, I, I always like the idea, not always, but I, I like the idea of someone being like, I have a unique vision for something that, that I could, I can reimagine this, as, as they say. I'm on board. I'm on board. Fair enough. Jolin. Didn't you just preface that with, you know, I don't have much to say. I, I don't. I, in terms of the actual Suspiria itself, no. I don't have much connection, but like remakes, I definitely okay. have an opinion on. Fair enough. Jolin. Well, I, I have a, a few things. Uh, the director sounds like he was like really dedicated and that this movie was kind of like life changing for him. Yeah. That's, so yeah. That seems like a good sign. Um, I'm also sort of curious because the original Suspiria was so driven by like, suspense you know Mm -hmm. um but it sounds like if he's using that dramatic of an effect just for like the teaser then Mm -hmm. i mean maybe this will be less suspense driven i mean i'm sure there's going to be like aspects of that but uh you know maybe it's going to be showing a little bit more than what was shown in the original which i the original is pretty gruesome though well i mean it's like there are there isn't like a lot throughout the whole movie but there are like four moments in the movie that are very gruesome yeah well i guess that's what i mean is like i wonder okay. if it's gonna be like the same thing where it's spaced out or i get if it's you. gonna be like i get you i don't know i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no it's okay um but also i am not into this cast like i like uh the one the actress who was in um oh, god damn it what's her name I, I told myself i'd write this down and then i didn't um Chloe Grace Moritz is no, in it. Yeah, I know. That's what I don't like. Oh. I don't like that, and I don't like that they cast the chick from Fifty Shades of Grey. Cause, like, oh, who is... Who, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Um, but, because, I mean, the last time that I saw Chloe Grace Moretz was in the Carrie remake. Right, and everyone's favorite remake. <laughs> and I hated it so much. And it's like, I know that she's a good actress, um, so I'd like to see her do better than she's doing, mm-hmm. but... uh. I don't know if I really see that. And, like, she, I feel like she's been doing a lot of overacting, which makes her a little bit more appropriate for, like, kick-ass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but for Suspiria, if she's going to be overacting, I don't know how big her part is going to be, but I no, don't want to no. see that. You know who I equate Chloe's career to right now? And they're they're happening simultaneously? Is Zac Efron. Now, hear me out. I feel like both have some, like, real talent, and I just like feel like they're just they're, they're projects, choosing bad yeah. projects. Well, I mean, Zac Efron was in the Hairspray like remake, and that that's was, true. Well, I guess not. It wasn't really a remake; it was just the the movie version of the musical. But but he was also in like Baywatch. Yeah, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like you see the potential in that actor, and especially when they're younger, yeah. actor or actress. You know, you you want them to be. You're like, come on, like who is choosing your projects? Especially yeah. if the person that's like in charge of your career sees the same potential that we're all seeing. It's like, you'd yeah. think that they'd be in the interest of you and, and would, it would give you the best potential. Right. I wish that Chloe Grace Moretz would like take a leaf. Well, I guess I don't even know. Um, Wasn't she in Let Me In? Yeah, she was. She was still kind of younger then though. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. And, and that was really good. I still need to see Let Me In. Um, I see. I need to see both of those, the original and the mm-hmm. remake. But uh, her career also kind of reminds me of Abigail Breslin's, because like she sort of started out like as a child actor, was really good. As she got older, kind of hit or miss sometimes. But mm-hmm. she did really well in like Final Girl. I really liked that. I don't know if you guys Abigail saw Breslin's in Final Girl. 
Yeah, she's the lead. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I've heard fi- I've heard good things about Final Girl. Yeah, she did a really good job. Uh, but then she was also in like that uh, Screen Queens show. Oh yeah. On MTV and. Uh, mm. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Back, back I take it the, you have some harsh mm, opinions for well, Scream Queens. The thing is, I actually thought it was really fun while I was watching it, but the more I watched it, the more I kind of realized they're just sort of like making a mockery of horror, and instead of like they're making the solid references because I mean, JB Lee Curtis is in it and right, stuff like yeah. that. So it's like I'm happy to see people making money, but also it's like that chick from American Horror Stories in it that that blonde chick that I can't remember the name of ever, but um. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and like Nick Jonas is in it, and yeah, that's right. Like I forgot about Scream Queens. Yeah, that's is this is still on the air. No, no they, I think they made like two or they three. They made seasons. like they didn't. It didn't last long. No. I do remember that. Yeah, I just kind of I want those writers or producers or whatever to just stop. To just stop. <laughs> I just don't want them to continue. <laughs> but the thing is, like their their references to other films are are fun, you know. And fair enough. So I probably shouldn't bitch, but. Anyway, back to Suspiria. I think I actually already said everything I was going to say. So, Matt. <laughs> um, I mean, cast notwithstanding, because uh, I usually don't. I mean, that's not true. I pay attention to the cast, but I don't. I try to wait until the movie to then evaluate yeah. the cast, unless it's like something that's like totally doomed to fail. Like if Rob Schneider and David Spade were in this, then <laughs> no, I would wait have a, a second. Questions, no, but well, plus it's like with, it's kind of like you know with with actors. If you get like a really good actor with a really bad director, you're still gonna have a good movie. And true. Same thing. If you have a really good director with a really bad actor, you might get a really good movie. You know? True. So that's fair. Um. That notwithstanding, though, um, I'm into this idea, everything that I've read into this idea that he's more like, this reimagining comes from evoking the emotions he felt from watching the original when he mm-hmm. was young. Uh, Luca. Yeah. Um, the oh, director. Pronounce, or pronounce the uh, last name of <laughs> And um, I think, because the interesting thing about Suspiria is, and the reason why Suspiria, I feel, lends itself to reimagining well other better than other horror movies and the same thing with like why the friday the 13th reboot was so successful is because the original friday the 13th all of them are more like ideas like all the friday the 13ths are like you got teenagers you got a guy in a mask and you kill them all and that's it and that's why that idea lends itself yeah it's a rebooting well it's the original suspiria has a plot but it's not much of a plot it's Mm -hmm. like a girl goes to a dance academy and there's witches and that's about like there's things that happen but it's not like anything that's necessarily con- conducive to the core plot yeah which I as well I think I think it would be interesting to see where where he can take this idea of witches at a dance academy and I don't know I'm all for some fucked up shit so <laughs> if if this is going to deliver me some Fede Alvarez evil dead fucked up shit I'm on board because Plus- the special effects and the original Suspiria are nightmarish. The whole oh, movie yeah. is nightmarish. And imagine what you can do with like today's money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And especially since I think it's a really wise choice also distinguishing the color palette from the mm-hmm. original because you can make it look like a different nightmare then. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I really like that. Because, I mean, I think a lot of people, when they think of Suspiria, they think of that color palette mm-hmm. and like just the aesthetic of it. But um, I think maybe switching that around is, is his kind of message to saying, like, this is a different movie. Right. You know, instead of trying to just, like, 
make the exact same film. I yep. think that's good. No, I'm into it. And if I'm not mistaken, it comes out sometime in November. November 2nd, I think. Let me check. November 2nd. No, it's, hold on. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. So that's the, that is the yeah. other. Release date, November 2nd. That is the other horror, horror reboot I'm looking forward to this year, honestly. I'm on board because I love the original Suspiria. It sounds like, and I mean, we we all hear this from people, but it sounds like it's attached with a, well, it's attached with a director who has seen accomplishment mm-hmm. with his Call Me By Your Name just got him a lot of praise. Yeah. And he appears to have, he has interesting ideas. We'll see how they flesh out come November. I mean, beforehand, see what that first trailer reveals and whatever else. Um, so, yeah, be on the lookout for the the Suspiria reimagining coming this f- fall, yeah. November <laughs> November 2nd. Um, speaking of fucked up shit, Lars von Trier's got a new movie out that just debuted at Cannes Film Festival. It's called The House That Jack Built. If you're not familiar with uh, Lars von Trier's work, he's been known for making uh, simultaneously artsy art house work that is kind of fucked up in nature with movies like Nymphomaniac, Antichrist, uh, Melancholia, just to name a few. This new one follows Matt Dillon, who plays a serial killer named Jack, and it follows his exploits uh, as a serial killer through a 12-year period uh, from the 1970s to the 1980s. Um, Lars von Trier, I believe the quote was uh, just his quote describing what the movie was about was just how evil and pointless human existence is or mm-hmm. something to that extent. It did not go over well at con film festival. There was a walkout of about a hundred people during the showing. Uh, and all the people, a bunch of people who were there tweeted out things that say, say it was repulsive. It was gruesome. One of my favorite quotes was something to the degree of we're all sitting there in formal attire expected to watch this. Mm. Apparently, and in typical uh, Lars von Trier fashion, it has to deal with a lot of child murder and mutilation and violence towards women and stuff to that degree. So I don't because I don't give a shit about Lars von Trier. I haven't seen any of his movies. I haven't seen... I don't know any much about this project. I don't necessarily have a desire to see this project. I just, I guess I kind of pose, unless Jolene has something more specific to say that she would like to say now. Oh, what? Why? What? Well, you have your notes. I, I do have just... notes. Um, well, I ugh, I don't know. Um, uh, do you want me to just dive into my opinion on things? Where were you going to go with that? Because I was just going to say is... Um, is this an overreaction? Is this just like what? What? What is your take on this? Is because it's it has been just marketed as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Is this going to go back to the argument? Do movies go too far? Like, what is your take on this like reaction? Well, I mean, he actually because I read this article by the Guardian today, um, and his reaction to their reaction kind of like warms my heart a little bit because it was essentially him saying um you know if if too many people would have liked it then I wouldn't be doing my job right you know and I I guess I kind of like that because I mean you know I things like American Psycho did well for themselves that was almost entirely fueled by how fucked up it was Mm -hmm. you know and I mean granted partially it was it being a commentary 
But I mean, you know, a, a lot of films do well because they're really fucked up because mm-hmm. they cater to that kind of audience. And I don't know if I'm necessarily a part of that audience or not, but it makes me want to see this, like knowing that many people couldn't handle it. Cause I right. mean, that was sort of the reaction to like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when it came out. Like right. a lot of people were like, Oh God, no, you know? So, I mean, maybe like, I just, I want to see how he did it and, and mm-hmm. how it ended up with that reaction. But, um, I, I, there were like the Lars Van Trier sounds like kind of a dick bag though. Yeah, he does. So I'm like, I don't he know really if I want to spend money on that movie. Um, but uh, the way that he remarked on it kind of, it I liked it because he was like, I'm not sure they hated it enough, uh, and that he he's, he also said it was a pleasure to write, and um, like the last thing that he said, well, I don't know if it was the last thing he said while um, being interviewed, but one of the last things in this article was he said, I've never killed anyone myself. If I do, it will probably be a journalist. <laughs> so, but also this is the guy that apparently uh, made a joke declaring kinship with Hitler. So I don't know how I feel about this guy in general. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's sort of how I feel about Lars von Trier. Cause again, I've never truthfully never seen any of his movies but from my understanding of him as a person and his filmography. He seems like, he seems like an exploitation director, but like, like, just like an annoying one. Like yeah. the people that make exploitation films that are exploitation films, like Mother, and but they think they're making art out of them, and they think they're making a grand statement out of them, and that's the kind of that's the kind of cinema that kind of turns me off because it's just annoying at that point. It's just like. Evoking like like and again I'll use Mother as an example because I've seen it evoking in a, re- a reaction out of the audience whether it's violence towards an infant or violence towards a woman to get a point across mm-hmm. is shallow and it's yeah. tasteless and that's from afar that's what it seems like Lars von Trier has been doing with his filmog- filmography but that, I don't know. Graham, what do you have to say on this? Lars von Trier's off the chain again. We gotta <laughs> reel him back in. Um, I think what I'd be interested to hear, and, and the only reason I ask this is because of the comments that have been made on Twitter by the people that were at the premiere, is how many of the people going into that film either are fans of Lars von Trier mm-hmm. or have an understanding of what Lars von Trier's work has been. Right. And the only reason I ask that is because the comments they made, like, we're supposed to be dressed up in fancy attire and watch this on the screen. It's like, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that. look at what he's made in the past. And I'm sure that there were obviously people there that knew what they were getting into and still felt the need to leave, and that's completely fair. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Okay. Um but yeah, no, it's it, it's really interesting. I I just it's one of those the, the reality of the situation. To best summarize it, is at the end of the day, there are enough people clearly that enjoy Lars von Trier's work that he is still going to be able to continue to make movies, and that's like that's just the reality of it. That's the reality of the free market and the ability to just. Make whatever you want to make. If people are going to go out to see it, and once again, he's made things like Nymphomaniac and apparently he's made the money back in order to continue to make films, Mm -hmm. none of this is really going to matter in the end. And I know that seems sort of like 
harsh or whatever, but it's just it, it whatever the hype is, like he he is one of those people that's just gonna have a cult following no matter what. Because there are people that are into this kind of stuff that he makes. No matter what you think about it, if it's not up your alley, that's completely fine. It's not up my alley, I'll say that, you know, first and foremost. It's I I am not into that kind of scene. You know, I, I do watch more disturbing stuff sometimes, you know, but his I've from what I've seen, the minimal stuff that I've seen from him and kind of hearing what he brings to the table, I've never been really interested in it. But that at the end of the day, it just doesn't really matter. With like, if you if you can still get a significant amount of people to go see your stuff, or enough to at least cover what you spent on the film, right. I mean, that's it. You still he's gonna have a career, and yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I'm just I want to know how many of those people that saw the film know knew what they were getting into. Because you would think if you're going to a Lars von Trier film, he's got enough of a filmography behind him yeah. to have you know people at least. The people going to see his movies have an understanding uh, of him. I don't know. It, well, it, that, that's really interesting. And apparently, I think, like, I don't know if he was, like, banned or or what happened, but um, he, like, wasn't involved in the circuit since that, that joke about, like, him declaring kinship with Hitler. Um, and oh. that was in 2011, I guess. So oh, no, this kidding. is this might be, like, his comeback. And So maybe he did that on purpose. Like, I think his movies were shown. Um, in certain like festivals and stuff, but I don't think he was like allowed to be there or something like that, um, or like he just didn't go because people were kind of like not into interviewing him or anything. Um, but so maybe that's why too. Maybe this, this movie's like a big fuck you. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Also, I'm kind of curious because like because I did bring up Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I wonder like his movies are going to be one of those movies that people like a decade or two from now are going to watch and be like, whoa, that's so fucked up. And then like develop a new like cult following to it. Yeah. Because I mean like, potentially like Rocky Horror Picture Show was really weird and like didn't have much of a following except for like the really weird people, you know? And like, you know, Texas Chainsaw wasn't right. Very well widely received. I don't know. But, you, um, you were you were just saying that this movie is maybe a big fuck you to everyone. Is yeah. That reason? I, I feel like all his movies <laughs> to some degree yeah. are a big fuck you to everyone. It's like, look, you, as I said earlier, you are going to love it or you're going to hate it, but either way, I'm making it because this is what I want to make and this is what I want to... This wanna... is the same director that made a four-hour-long movie about a woman's sexual exploits from like the time she was 13 to right. the time she was like 55. So Right. And I also I have a problem with it because it is kind of what you were hinting at earlier, Matt. It's like... It, it, look at how it, deep I look am. Look at how deep uh. I am because I'm I'm exposing the kind of creative freedom that I have. Right. Yeah. You know, and I feel like if that's your only intent to prove to everybody that you can make whatever the fuck you want, then I don't view that as having substance. I feel that as you just being kind of a pretentious prick. Or him just almost like seeing how much he can get away with. Right. Testing money. that boundary. Yeah. Right. I don't know. That's, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fuck you, Lars Boundary. That's what I got to say about that. I'm just yeah. kidding. I can't. Yeah, no, I've... I've and like I agree, I agree with you to an extent to see like maybe that some at some day this will be like some bromance dude's favorite like cult movie just because yeah. of how fucked up it is. Yeah. But I also just think like movies like his, I don't see them having the same like when I I don't see them having the same cult appeal because they're always so pretentious and they're always so on the nose. Yeah, Texas and, like, Chainsaw wasn't pretentious. No. At least in my eyes, I'm that sure some people genuine. think that. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. like, uh, but 
I yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's definitely a distinction to because be made. like like he's making a movie about a serial killer, and he's like, yeah, the broad statement is that we're evil and fucked up as a species. It's like, wow, what a fucking what a cool idea you had. And then it's like, it's not about it's not a slasher movie anymore. Now it's like it's just it's gross, and it's yeah. I mean, that's that's what turns me off about that's what turns me off about his filmography is. If he wants to make something fucked up, just make something fucked up. Make it make no sense. Make it be dark for, and make it be twisted just for the sake of it. But I yeah. always, it's when it's always like got to be art too, and it's like this is the broad statement on Honestly, our reality. And that kind of makes me think of Eli Roth. Like really? he kind of reminds me a little bit of Eli Roth because like does Eli Roth do that though? Again. Here's the thing: well, with Eli Roth, I feel like it comes from more of a background in those type of films, like the very like. Like grunge, like I don't, I don't know the best way. Um, drive-in, drive-in right. type yeah. movies. I don't know why I blanked yeah. on that, but you know, but whereas I, Lars Van Trier is I feel to make like, it like artsy, yeah. right? Eli Roth is definitely not trying to make it artsy. Right. Eli Roth, yeah. you feel the sort of fanboy vibe in him oh, every yeah. time he makes okay. a movie. Yeah. Whereas Lars Von Trier, it is one of those like hoity-toity, I'm a pretentious yeah. asshole type movies. But I mean, I, I get a little bit of. Like, I, I kind of think Eli Roth might be a little bit pretentious. Like, I like his movies, but. I mean, some of them do feel like it's just him going like, oh, hey, I'm still going to get money, so I'm going to make this really fucked up movie just for fun, you know? But in a weird sort of way, I have more respect for that because at least he's being honest. Yeah, same. And he's not, like, going back to Mother again. He's not, like... Like, Darren Aronofsky was so obviously, like, crawled up his own ass with his fucking bible metaphor and mother earth metaphor that he was just like creaming all over the set and it was just like it just made me lose respect for the film because first off it's just, it's tasteless symbolism it's shocking just to like evoke it's not it's just shocking just to like oh you're fucked up this is the way we're treating the earth and it's it's like yeah here's fucking- the thing it's so obvious when somebody has head up their own ass. Yeah, and that's, like, and that's it, what the so vibe obvious. I get from Lars von Trier and just the way yeah. he says, like, yeah, I would kill a journalist if I would kill someone. It's like, yeah. okay, so now you're essentially Uwe Boll. Why don't you just invite him in the ring with you and take a fucking couple hits at him? <laughs> and it's like, but then the thing, the thing about Uwe Boll is his work is like, it's just, well, it's honest, but it's shit. And it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of gray area. Like, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm against symbolism in horror movies. I'm all for it. Bless you. I didn't see it yet. No, I'm not gonna. Never mind. Jinx. I'm all for symbolism and horror. It, there's just there needs to be, there needs to be a time and a place, and it needs to make sense, and it needs to be, it needs to be smart. Like I'll bring it up because we it's literally literally one of the most brilliant horror films I've ever seen. Get Out. Get Out has some masterful symbolism, and because it's done by an individual that was also interested in telling a story apart from. Race relations. Yeah. I, I, and again, I can't speak to any of Lars von Trier's filmography. I guess I'm just more pissed off about Mother because I think <laughs> about it. But when it's, when it's like, when the symbolism is directly like, because like Get Out, if you had no idea, if you were like the stupidest individual in the world, no offense, but like, uh, you could watch Get Out and be like, all right, that was a weird, fucked up horror movie. That was fun. And it was funny, too. And I liked it. And it was cool. Yeah. It was fun. No offense to the stupidest person no in the world. No offense to the stupidest person <laughs> in the world. But, like, you watch Mother and, like, you're the stupidest person in the world. You're like, all right. 
he's saying something, but he's also just like he wants to be gross too. And that's where I get turned off because it's like, if you want to be gross, be fucking gross. If you want to have commentary, have it be subtle. Don't have it be ham-fisted into every part of the narrative. Yeah. And again, not saying that's what Lars von Trier does because I don't know for sure, but that's the vibe I get off from him reading interviews. And that's, yeah, and here we are. 20 minutes later, nothing has been solved. That's Matt's story, and he's sticking to it. (laughs) I'm going to say, in comparison, I retract my statement about Eli Roth being pretentious. Because I'm like, given given these movies and these directors, totally different ballgame. Because Eli Roth, like, the first movie he made was, like, self-produced. Right. You know, he, he, I mean, it was ridiculous, but he's got a lot more going for him. I was just thinking of, like, you know, Hostel and Knock Knock, how they were just, like, way over the top, just to kind of be over the top, um... And I mean, there definitely was a level of commentary there, too, because like the whole idea of like being able to pay to like torture poor people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or yeah, like uh, in knock knock sort of I don't know what exactly that'd be a commentary on, but all women are evil. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen knock knock. Eh. I would like to, though, because it looks hilarious. I'd, uh, I haven't seen a single Eli Roth movie now that I think about what? it, actually. I don't think I have. You never saw Hustle? No, I don't want to, frankly. Green Inferno? I've seen the first Hostel the and the second. Well, I, I, I know, like I've seen the first two. The only one I want to see, the only Eli Roth movie I actually have interest in seeing other than Knock Knock is Cabin Fever. I want to see Cabin Fever. I'm on VHS if you ever want to. All right, I'll just I guess I'll bring up my VCR and we'll call it a day. <laughs> um, wow. So, yeah, be on the look. If you are a fan of Lars von Trier, I'm sorry. Let us know in the comments below and like and subscribe and ring the bell. I feel like you don't have to say I'm sorry to a Lars von Trier fan. They knew this was going to piss everybody right. well, off. Oh, so yeah, if you're like, a Lars von Trier fan, point. please... Fuck off. <laughs> don't do that. Let us know why you like Lars von Trier. Shoot us a message. Don't do that. Tweet either. us. Or don't do it. Jolin doesn't want to hear it. We're sick, no, I mean, we're I don't, sick of your shit. I don't if you can provide things, me so. a good reason why I should pay $12 to, to go see, see the house that Jack built. Yeah, honestly, I'm saying all this. I totally want to see the house that Jack built. So, <laughs> I yeah, know. You know. Damn it, he wins. Fuck. of it. Maybe I'll, like, I'll sneak in and do a double feature and so I'm not giving him any money. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I theaters, theaters be on the lookout for the if illegal it's, activity it's of Jolin. It's shown anywhere near here because yeah i mean mean, nymphomaniac didn't get a widespread release. i mean obviously that movie couldn't get a widespread release it was nc-17 but anyway speaking of auteurs who have new things on the horizon it's just been announced that guillermo del toro is producing an anthology series for netflix yeah for netflix and it's called 10 past midnight 10 after midnight 10 after midnight 10 flavors of guillermo del toro <laughs> 10 cloverfield lane it's actually flavors. i think it's technically guillermo del toro presents 10 after midnight right so sorry I, no it's okay um i like the presents bit it's no i like that too <laughs> so i don't know truthfully i don't know a whole lot about this really? jolene what have you dug up well the thing is i read like a bit I was going to say bajillion. I didn't. I read like maybe five articles. She read a literal bajillion. I, I That's did. why she is the smartest. You do the math in your head, it. folks at home. I don't know what that equates to, but <laughs> <laughs> fuck time. It equals five. It was yeah. about five, maybe seven. Wow. Um, but I, because like <laughs> I really like Guillermo del Toro, so I was trying to find out more about this. Um, but it sounds like it just sounds like he's going to be writing. They just have the title and they're figuring well, it out from there. There's the title, and they were saying that um, Guillermo del Toro is going to 
write and direct a few episodes. The other ones are just like stories that he is curating from others and he's going to be working with like people that he sees as promising. Um, and then that's pretty much it. That's all the details. I wasn't able to find a release date or anything like that. It's just I, I heard that they're working on it. So are you excited, guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Isn't it, okay. Rev it up. Um, so this is something I, I actually don't know. Does Netflix pay by the watch? Like, do they? Pay? No, it does not. It, I think it? what it does is it, and I'm not an expert, so if somebody else that's listening at home has a You're more a informed opinion. curator, please comment below letting us know <laughs> what <laughs> that's how it is. But, it, but if you are listening and there's a, you are more informed on this, then please feel free to leave a comment. My understanding is, is that it's, like you get a distribution deal, like there's an initial okay. payout. Okay. And Netflix, obviously, they generate their revenue through the monthly subscription. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no. So they probably have a lot, right? They, I mean, like they probably give their people kind of a lot. I would imagine. Yeah. They, well, they. I remember it was about a year ago this time. They reported that Netflix was in so and so amount of debt. Oh. It was so they. I mean, so for whatever. I mean, once again, it is one of those things where Netflix's model is a little tricky to grow in terms of like revenue and profit because it is like you get this the fixed amount of money each right. month from the subscriptions and you may add you know a thousand people a month or however yeah, but many with how many people just like use their friends accounts that's or whatever, that's so. right and that's another barrier that kind of oh. stands in the way um but yeah the way they do it is they just they hand out like you you lock in a deal i know this is how it works for like stand-up specials and stuff like that you just lock in an initial payout deal and they distribute it from there but i don't believe there is and obviously if you let's say you're a stand-up comedian or you make a television show and it performs really really well and you know they they track that obviously the next time you make something your payout's going to be a little higher yeah once again i'm not an expert but that's how i I guess in a sense this is still good because obviously Guillermo del Toro is making a decent amount of money, especially now. Um, so if he's if he's like really trying to uh, work with people who are more up and coming than ones that are already successful, then that could be really good for them because it's like I'm sure he's using whatever money was given him to just like produce this, and then I mean I guess I'm I'm assuming, um, but uh, then like people start to know more names in terms of like up and coming horror writers and directors so that could be really good just to uh just to build the community a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm excited one of these days i'm gonna actually get around to watching more than the one movie i've seen by guillermo del toro what was the one movie that you saw crimson peak uh I like the, the Yeah, movie. honestly. I know it's not his best movie, but Yeah, that's no. the thing. It's like a lot of people I know that's like their favorite Guillermo del Toro movie and I'm just I'm not stupid super impressed and wrong by that. I don't want to be friends with them. Also though, it's like I I don't know. I have a I love Guillermo del Toro, but also I, I have weird feelings about a lot of his movies. Like I've yeah. I found that I think I like what he produces almost more than what he makes himself, but I'm just not super into like romance stuff and he focuses a lot on romantic aspects to horror rather than like horror aspects to romance you know he's really fascinated by like what romance means and what like yeah. what love means obviously in the shape of water that's a fish one of the most fucking a fish yeah it's the most <laughs> prevalent thing. yeah but uh yeah he does really he gets he's very interested in that concept of like what is the true definition of love but oh it just oh <laughs> Uh, I love you, Guillermo del Toro. Now that you're listening, Matt's gonna to this need podcast. to be sidelined for a bit. Oh. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. Oh, no. so I want Guillermo del Toro 
now that he's an Oscar winner, I want him to someone to finally get this man in the video game studios because he's tried like nine different times to make a video game and none of them have been successful. And I want that to happen because he's got excellent visions. Obviously, all of his movies are about monsters. Get this man making a video game pronto. So, okay, this is irrelevant to everything I'm going to talk about right now. I don't care. But I rant a lot about how I really want there to be a Cthulhu movie. I was trying to remember because they're making something. They're making The Call of Cthulhu a video game. Uh, so that's a thing. Hmm. I don't know anything else about it. I think I just read that headline and then got really excited and threw my phone or something. Ooh. I don't know. Dude, to, I'm so pumped. have to play Call of the Cthulhu. Fuck yeah. The Call of the Cthulhu. <laughs> Jolene, you're welcome to come play The Call of the yeah. Cthulhu with me. when it co- I don't know if it's going to come out ever, but we'll see. I'll watch from afar. That's what I'll do. <laughs> no, uh... Uh, Graham, you can come too. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I'm, I guess I'm invited. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is. I'm on board for this. I'm sure we'll talk more about this in the future episodes we're recording. Uh, I've been on the biggest Twilight Zone kick right now, so the anthology, like any any type yeah. of anthology right now, I am so in on. I don't care what it is, um, but especially in horror and sci-fi, that is that is my game. So I am. I am super pumped to see what, uh, once again, knowing that Guillermo del Toro has a very like horror monster-based background, that just gives me all the more hope that this is going to be absolutely fantastic. So, And I'm also excited it's coming to Netflix, so we get to binge it all at once yeah. or watch it. up. I mean, that's the beauty of Netflix or any streaming service where they release episodes at once. It's like... You get to pick how you get to watch it. Right. So. I also wonder if that title, 10 After Midnight, if that means that he's only doing 10 episodes or if it's like... Maybe. You know, I don't know. I hope it's more than that, though. But either way, I think hope it'll it's be 30. good. No, I don't know. So, yeah, be on the lookout for Guillermo del Toro's new digs. <laughs> We're going to close out the episode by discussing another upcoming project from uh, Robert Eggers, who uh, received fame from uh, directing The Witch. Or the double V itch, if you are going by the way the title is written. Yeah. D- why did they do that? Just stylize it. I don't oh, I, I actually don't know. I've never seen The Witch, so if there's any relevance I have, on the plot, but I, don't I don't remember. Um, I would like to see The Witch. I, I own The Witch. That. I have not yet watched it. But Let's watch that when we're done here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded so defeated. Um, anyway. But yeah, he's got a new project on the horizon. Not a whole lot is known. It's called The Lighthouse. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are the only two actors who have been announced to be in it. The only reason why it piqued my interest is because it's going to be shot in 35-millimeter black-and-white film stock. Now, what do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Really? You got nothing? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, I I, I really don't have much to say. I'm going to turn this over to Jolyn first. Okay. I have notes, so here we go again. Cool. Um... I actually, okay, I really like Robert Pattinson as an actor. That's the thing, is I feel really bad for him and uh, Kirsten Stewart. Kristen? Kristen Stewart? Yo, um, I, I'll, I'll start off by saying I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think they're both Kristen really good actors. Kristen Stewart killed it in Catch That Kid. They get, yeah, yeah, she also killed, wait, what? <laughs> oh, Catch That Kid. I, I didn't know anybody else knew that movie. Catch That Kid's a fucking shit. It's, it's, a, it's a kid's that. movie. Anyway. Um, it sounds like it. Yeah, I, Kid, but I was going to say. Kids rob a bank. Oh my God, that sounds saying. awesome. <laughs> 
I'm just going to say preach that because Pattinson and Kristen Stewart both really completely got screwed over by that that franchise. Yeah. What is the like, movie that he was just in Good Time? That he, is it Good yeah. Time? If he's apparently yeah, good time. really good in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, when he was in Harry Potter, he was really he good. He was good in Harry Potter. He was also too. in, I think he was in But like he was a, also playing the most normie fucking character. That's yeah. such true. A digger, he's such a... <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he has to die. Dying on camera isn't the easiest it's thing true. in the world. It's true. And he was like 17. Yeah. Um, but okay, so I also like how what I wrote down was it'll probably be released in 2019. So I'm assuming what I read was like rumored to be released in 2019. So that's what Wikipedia says. Okay, says I just I like the idea of reading that. Just it's probably going to be released in 2019. Like released. just in a, an article. But um, I like the whole black and white thing. I think that's going to be awesome. And uh, I also like. Did you guys see Tusk? No. But I I don't watch movies. It's like one of the few Kevin Smith movies I haven't seen. Dude, okay. Because I've heard so much mixed response. People either love Tusk or they hate it. I am both simultaneously, kind of. <laughs> right. uh, because I love Michael Parks, and uh-huh. he just, he killed that Michael role. Michael Parks oh my God. is pretty cool. I, I hate Justin Long, though, but I would like to see him be transformed into a monster as punishment yeah, for sucking. It's pretty cool, because he sucks that whole fucking movie. He's like a huge dickhead, and yeah. so you kind of like want him to be like... right. But anyway, um, when I was reading about this, it sounds like it's based off of uh, seafaring myths. So then that's hmm. where my brain went was to Tusk because like the whole uh, the sort of like inspiration for Tusk was the rhyme of the ancient mariner kind of. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, about a, a walrus. Uh, Tusk. What? Cuckoo-cuchoo. Oh, fuck you. Ah, the rhyme. Anyway. Um, I'm going home. <laughs> That's the last we ever heard of Matt yeah. Schaefer. <laughs> he returned to his coffin for good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm in such agony, you guys. I don't know what I did. Please Aww. continue, Jola. Oh, but I... Um, well, so it's like I, I immediately thought of Tusk, but I have a feeling they're going to take a more serious route, especially if it's going to be in black and white. And it's set in 1890, apparently. Um, also, apparently, Willem Dafoe's character, I, I believe, is called Old. Yep. Like, that's just his character's just name old. is Old. So I, I love it. I know. I'm intrigued. I think Genius. it might be really fun. Um, and I mean, like, the thing about The Witch was it was really, um, I don't want to say subtle, but, like, it it was more, I don't know. It was, like, it was less about, like, I mean, it was about witches, and that was, like, the biggest thing, but it was also sort of the pressure within this family, and I think that that might bring something really interesting to this because it's called The Lighthouse, so maybe it's, like, confined to a lighthouse but about all these different seafaring myths. I don't know. It sounds like it, it could be really interesting It'll and die and hard beautiful. in a lighthouse. <laughs> Matt's all over that. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> no, I'm definitely intrigued. I'm still intrigued by The Witch. One of these many years, I'll finally get to watch it, but... It, so yeah that was uh the may episode of monsters at midnight motherfucking monster i was gonna say do not forget that motherfucking midnight and it was so fun thank you all for joining jolyn thank you for being here oh my pleasure graham one last time and I'm Matt. I'm Rickety Bones Matt. <laughs> Rickety Bones. Let's just call you that from now on. And uh, we are from the Lysema Podcasting Network. Thank you for listening. So, my groovy ghoulies, we return to our coffins, wait for the sun to dip back below the horizon, 
and then return to the streets when it no, I fucked it all up. <laughs> Have a good night. Have a groovy evening. <laughs> <laughs> Fail. Hi, Fashion Hotline. Hi, this Easter I'm on the hunt. For eggs? For new styles my family can wear to brunch. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get a huge 50% off your entire purchase in store. Everything you need, like dresses, polos, and shorts, is 50% off. 50% off? You must be hiding something. Dresses start at just $12 for women, $10 for girls. But Easter's just three days away. Then hop to it. It's in stores only. Don't tell the Easter Bunny. Hurry in for 50% off your entire purchase in stores only. Now at Old Navy. Valid 14 to 420 in stores only. Excludes in store clearance, gift cards, register lane items, jewelry today only and two-day only deals. Hi, Fashion Hotline. Hi, this Easter I'm on the hunt. For eggs? For new styles my family can wear to brunch. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get a huge 50% off your entire purchase in store. Everything you need, like dresses, polos, and shorts, is 50% off. 50% off? You must be hiding something. Dresses start at just $12 for women, $10 for girls. But Easter's just three days away. Then hop to it. It's in stores only. Don't tell the Easter Bunny. Hurry in for 50% off your entire purchase in stores only. Now at Old Navy. Valid 14 to 420 in stores only. Excludes in store clearance, gift cards, register lane items, jewelry, today only, and two-day only deals.